2: was it? Is is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well,
3: and if you look at the round-by-round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite Uh is the Vancouver Canucks.
2: What a time to be alive! Talking
0: you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust, this is the C4 Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam.
3: Welcome to another episode of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. I am Chris, outlier force, joined virtually by the phenomenal Anna Forsyth at E4603. Welcome, Anna.
1: Hi, Chris. Um, How are you doing? Are you enjoying the Vancouver winter that is now upon us?
3: You know, I kind of am. I mean, to be honest to those who don't actually know the weather we have been experiencing here in the Pacific Northwest or Vancouver, um, summer ended like two days ago. Um, We had had up to that point, like less rain than they had had in Las Vegas since like July. And now to the point that you've raised, uh, winter has shown up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fall was like for about three hours and now we're getting rain. But I, I kind of like it. Like there's that. Real strong scent of petrichor out there. Um, everything feels fresh, which it hadn't felt like in forever. Um, and uh, You know, next week is when I'll start complaining about
1: yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, we can see the mountains now because the smoke has been cleared by the rain. and
3: That's actually the biggest thing for yeah. me. The smoke was driving me nuts.
1: Honestly, it was pretty bad. Um, and if we're solely talking about the weather, I am enjoying the winter. If it is the winter of our discontent. And talking about the start of the
3: Canucks season, less so. Well, and that's actually what I thought you were going to ask me. Am I enjoying this, uh, you know, Vancouver Canucks, not the Vancouver weather? Because if you happen to be a Vancouver Canucks fan like you and I are, it has been a rough start mm-hmm. to an NHL season. I mean, we were, just thinking back a week, we were complaining that the Vancouver Canucks couldn't hold on to Leeds. Well, we've since learned the Vancouver Canucks also, uh, don't do well when they give up mm-hmm. early goals too. Um, in, in fairness, since we recorded, they have gotten themselves two points, uh, loser points, points, but points so you obviously can't be too upset that, that, that didn't, that occur. I mean, on the road would have wished they would have gotten a few more. And then, uh, Saturday happened and, um,
1: yeah, that was bleak. Yeah, it was bleak. It was, um, Obviously we talk about the Canucks fans like being the most rational fans in the NHL. We know this. Very rational. But yes, it might look mildly hysterical that the fans were booing at the end of the home opener. You know, it's one game at home, they've been on the road. That's a tough way to start the league. It's a tough way to start the season. And they've already thrown a jersey on the ice. That might look a bit yeah. hysterical, but like you really have to put it into perspective of not just this how Canucks have played to start the season, which is mm-hmm. poorly, and not just the effort level that we've seen from some of our star players cough JT Miller. But yeah, also because it worked last time they did it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, very true. Now, before you and I actually talk about the week that was as we normally do, and then talk a sort about the week that's coming, and uh, just an asterisk here the Vancouver Canucks are currently playing a uh, game of ice hockey against the Carolina Hurricanes. It's tied 1 1. Uh, we're actually going to go and get a better perspective on just life in general uh, with a phenomenal guest that's joining us uh, shortly. Aaron Volpatti, former Vancouver Can- former Washington Capitol. Uh, he is going to join us to talk a little bit about uh, his professional hockey journey, but not only that, the journey he took to get to professional hockey. If, if you weren't aware, like I was, it wasn't an easy go of it. No. Um, I mean, there's some of you might say, "Well, Chris, what do you mean? He's a you know NCAA uh, prospect. Uh, He did very well, got himself a contract. uh, Injury shortened his career." Yeah,
1: it's a lot more to it than that, and yeah, really fascinating story. uh,
3: Yeah, and he's going to talk a little bit about that and the fact that he's got a book coming out um, today. You're listening, or it might have been yesterday if you're listening a few days later, uh, but as we're recording tomorrow. Um, And uh, if you want to look for it, it is Fighter Defining NHL Odds. Aaron's going to talk about it when he joins us in a moment. Uh, So it looks like he is here. Let's bring him in.
2: Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct?
0: Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck.
2: Now, Madison never, ever did that before. Now, why did he do it? And that, because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder (laughs) Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Patterson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart (laughs) Trophy. Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty. Heat and play. He's going to get a lot of power play time. And yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200 point players and we've got to find a way to score.
3: So Anna and I are pleased to be joined by a former Vancouver Canuck, Aaron Volpatti, He's also a former Washington Capitol, for the few Capitals listeners in our community. Uh, local boy, born and raised in Revelstoke, BC, uh, played his junior hockey here in British Columbia. Uh, but he's here to talk to us a little bit about his, his journey to the NHL, uh, something that I learned a whole lot about, I was not aware, and uh, as well, uh, what you're up to. And In fact, I understand that you've, uh, you've put together a book describing this journey, but welcome, Aaron. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me, guys. Happy
3: to be here. Awesome, you know I was uh, looking into your journey, and I, I just conceded I didn't know a whole lot about it. I started following you when you played for the the Canucks, um, and you played the style of hockey that uh, I find I appreciate uh, as a as a fan. It's that hardworking blue collar uh, style of hockey. I was sad, unfortunately, to see you uh, be claimed on waivers uh, by the Washington Capitals, but. Uh, what I didn't realize was that you your journey wasn't your dare I say it sort of you know smooth sail through junior hockey into an NHL entry draft. Instead, you you went and experienced uh, a few challenges um, in those early
2: days. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that's that's putting it lightly for sure. I think, uh, <laughs> and you know what, that's a big part of, of why I wrote the book was I it was finally time to, to tell my story. Um, I have always just kept things pretty close to the vest. And mm-hmm. to your point, no one besides my family and a few teammates ever really truly knew the whole story. Um, as far as everyone was concerned, I, I got badly burnt and, and healed and, and came back and made the NHL. And that was kind of... Kind of it. But obviously Mm -hmm. there's, there was a lot more to it than that. And that was a big part of, of writing this, this story finally. And I got to a point, you know, when, when COVID hit and I'm like, you know, I can, I can truly change people's lives with this story uh, and inspire people. So that was a big motivating factor. And for me, it was about opening up and being vulnerable, which is, wasn't, always easy for me to do Mm -hmm. so uh yeah i lay it all out there for sure now so
1: yeah um before we get to that huge you know challenge the one big challenge of um that um very serious burn injury i'm curious to sort of know when you started out in junior what kind of player were you what kind of team weight were you and were you kind of thinking right like i'm on the start of this journey the end goal being professional hockey or were you just sort of enjoying your game?
2: Yeah, I was, I like to think I was a good teammate to to your question. Uh, I think, I think you, you throw the term around glue guy or a a role player. I mean, I've always been that my whole life. So what you Mm -hmm. saw on the Canucks, um, you know, that's who I was and that's who I had to be in order to not just make professional hockey. Like we're talking about, like I squeaked into snuck into junior a that way. Mm. Uh, and that, and that's another big part of my story was I really truly was a long shot to make it, uh, you know, to any professional ranks aside from this whole burn injury. I I Mm -hmm. really wasn't that good. I I wasn't, (laughs) I mean, I, I was above average. Sure. Um, but if you're talking about, you know, little town of Revelstoke, yeah, I was a good little hockey player, but you know, I got cut from select teams and played house hockey and snuck into junior A as a fighter. And that was when mm-hmm. you know intimidation. This was in the early mid 2000s. You know, the game was a little bit different then, and uh, intimidation was a big big factor. And uh, you know, I provided some of that with my style of play. And I mean, I had one goal my first year at junior A, so I was definitely I had no reason to think about pro hockey, really. I mean, I was always chasing the the NCAA scholarship. That was always mm-hmm. my NHL. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm. But to go back, I I definitely was always that that type of player um, mm. from an early age. I loved to hit. That was that was my thing. I could always right. skate and hit, and then the fighting came after that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, sorry, just one more, Chris, before you jump in, just like you talk about your value as like a physicality, like as a physical player, as a fighter, was that kind of going through your head when you're in the hospital, when you're recovering that, you know, this is my only value is my body essentially. And that's kind of been compromised.
2: Yeah, I had, I think, yes, to some point, Uh, I think, and and I talk about this in my book, I was lucky enough to be, predis- I had a predisposed um, exposure to grit, I think, with mm. my my dad especially and um, just the way I was raised. And, you know, we were always taught to, to work harder than anyone else no matter what. Okay. And <laughs> And, yeah, I think I had that and I think that gave me, you know, a head start there. To, to answer your question, specifically in the burn unit, I had a very defining moment in the burn unit that, I mean, do you guys want it? We can get right into the to the meat of it. If you but uh, yeah, so when I, my first two weeks in the burn unit were uh, not very good. And what I mean by that is obviously there was a lot of pain first uh-huh first of all. And I remember the first few days were pretty foggy. I don't remember a lot. I was, you know, wrapped like a mummy. I was, you know, in a morphine coma and it was, it was just a big, big blur. And I remember a few days in I, the first time I was able to talk to the doctors, the first thing that went through my head is can I play hockey again? And like I said, I was chasing that, that NCAA scholarship I had just finished my second year in Vernon and I, I had yet to talk to an NCAA scout because again, they weren't really recruiting fighters, but I figured, Hey, if I can just, you know, I added some layers my second year, if I can add a little bit of offense, my third year. And, uh, you know, I I was confident I could, I could get a scholarship somewhere. Maybe it was div three. Right. And so I asked this doctor and I say, you know, we have camp in, in four months or three and a half months or whatever it is. And I, you know, I need, I need to be able to be able to play and, and I'll never forget the look on his face and he just kind of (laughs) froze and it was a look of, you know, this poor kid thinks he's going to be playing hockey in in a few months. And he just said, listen, you're, these recoveries take years, not, not months. You're going to be, you're going to be in here well into the summer. And, let's just focus on your recovery you know maybe we'll look at getting you on know, a pair of skates in a couple of years when when your recovery is complete and and so that was it for me my career was done as far as i knew it and it was a really mixed bag of emotions because yeah i was i was depressed and i was i was down and obviously in a lot of pain of my you know my current reality i had to kiss that chapter goodbye and my my hockey career for whatever it Mm -hmm. was at that point was, was over. But I was also on, on the flip side, also thankful, you know, I'm going to make a full recovery. I'm, you know, my face isn't going to be, you know, super scarred and the grafts aren't going to be over my joints, which was, could be a a major complication. Um, I was going to have some pretty gnarly scars and a long journey, but I was going to make a full recovery. And, and so that was my first two weeks was trying to battle this, these conflicting thoughts, right? I'm I'm thankful, but I'm also pissed off and, and depressed at, at what I've done, you know, and, and all that. So where it all changed, and this is really when, I, I mean, I really think that this whole journey really started was not just the burn incident, but again, this event two weeks into the burn unit and I got a call from my coach in, in Vernon and he said, you know, how you doing? And I said, well, I've been better, but uh, hanging in there kind of thing. And he said, listen, I, I just got off the phone. I was talking with the assistant coach from Brown university. They're looking for a type of player. And his exact words were the coach told me, we need a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy league. And (laughs) my coach said, I have the perfect guy for you. There's one small problem. He's, you know, burnt himself to a crisp and he's laid up in the burn unit. So this is what my coach is relaying to me. And he said, listen, I know you got the time, give the coach a call, and they just want to talk to you. So I, I just thought, you know, what's the point? But I, Got my parents to take down the number. You got to remember, I'm wrapped like a mummy. I can't move. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. And so my parents dialed the number, put the phone to my ear, and I talked to Danny Brooks, this assistant coach at Brown at the time. And, yeah, he, he it was left really open-ended. He just said, you know, we're sorry to hear what happened. We wish you the best in recovery. And, you know, maybe we could see a play one day down the road, you know, both knowing that that wasn't an option at this point and and it was left like that and I hung up the phone and and that's where my life really changed and I I remember I just I just started thinking I got I got emotional because I'm like man I've worked my whole life to get an opportunity to talk to one of these scouts you know and here I am and look where I am and I just remember I started asking you know okay why why can't I play and there was a big long list trust me there were of you know infection was probably the the biggest risk mm-hmm. with with burns um the skin grafts were going to be very limiting very painful and they're just they're just slow healing by nature uh i was going to be in a full body suit for two years i couldn't sweat from those large grafted areas which you know could have complications down down the road with activity and so there's in the list went on and on and on and on and you know I just, I made a choice that I just said, Th- those aren't good enough reasons for me. If you're telling me it's going to hurt, it, it can't be worse than what I've experienced for these last two weeks. Uh, if I get an infection, I'll deal with it when the time comes. And my, I really was at that point willing to die before giving up. And uh, and I made a choice. And, and that's, when, that's when my life, it honestly changed. Um, just I... I that's when I got exposed to the visualization practice that, that I teach now and that I did throughout my career and just, um, I, I, flipped my mindset and, and everything changed.
3: Yeah. You know, and I
2: buried the lead
3: earlier on and simply because I wasn't entirely sure as to how much you wanted to, to share with us on the show. I know much of it's in the book, but just for our listeners, I mean, from what I understand, um, you had like 40% uh, secondary and third degree burns you know across your body and yeah. that's that's a significant number in you know, all things considered now i was trying to to put together the the timing of this in in my head and and correct me if i'm wrong here but the burn occurred in what looks to be the spring of 05 April, and yeah. by the fall you were at brown am i
2: no that was the next am I year
3: misunderstanding Ah, okay. The next year. So I, cause I was trying to sort of follow along and it, I thought, wow, I mean, months, <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. Way to go. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It, was a lo- it was a much
2: longer road but, than that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But still the fact that remains, you were able to go in and, and do what you were being told was going to be at best in years back on skates. Um, You know, you talked about infection uh, and I, I, I did not grow up playing hockey. I'm one of the few Canadians out, to, out there that uh, didn't. Soccer was my sport because out here in Vancouver, it's a whole lot easier to find green grass in the winter than <laughs> it was to get to time on the ice. But uh, hockey doesn't seem to me to be the type of sport that is conducive to avoiding infection right. um, with the <laughs> gear and, and what have you. Yes. Um, how, how, how honestly did you approach that? Like, were you wearing like a, a, like a bodysuit or some form of,
2: you know, Lycra or or what have you to, to help? Yeah. So I wore, I wore a a bodysuit from basically my nipples to my knees for two full years, 24 hours a day. That was to Mm -hmm. help with scarring. And it's, it was actually amazing that the only time I took it off was to shower. And in those five, 10 minutes, my my scars would, I'm not kidding you, raise about half an inch and they would become rock hard in, in five or 10 minutes. Oh, wow. So if you don't wear this, it's like it's like Under Armour times a hundred. It's like super, super mm-hmm. tight and it just compresses mm-hmm. that scar tissue. Um, so I wore that for two years and then I had, you know, it was really the second degree areas of the burns that took forever to to close. They just did not, they wouldn't close. Uh, you know the skin grafts that's part of the reason you need that is because it 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 I don't want to say cures it right away but there's fresh (laughs) skin there that that area you know assuming the graft takes okay and you you do your physio and the rehab and all that stuff uh, you know the healing process is is escalated but the second degree burns I couldn't win with them you know they just I had to I had to cover them cause we're right, we're under the hockey mm-hmm. gear. So I can't just leave them open cause that's just irresponsible. <laughs> um, I guess I'm one to talk about irresponsible now that we're talking about <laughs> burning yourself, but so I'm keeping these covered and you got to remember I went into the grafting surgery, 40% second, third degree burns. Well, when I, when you get the grafting procedure, that number essentially jumps to 60, 70% because they got to take skin from the parts of my body that oh, are the healthier. And that is effectively a second degree burn They're, they' They use a, it's a glorified cheese slicer or dermatome and they just, they skin you, they take your skin. Uh. And so, yeah. So now I have those areas that, that are still healing. So I'm covering those with sleeves. And I mean, if, if, if you would have seen what i looked like under my hockey gear that fall uh i, I don't even know what what words to say uh but <laughs> <laughs> there it, there would have been people's you know with mouths open agape gape and yeah. um i mean the doctors were right I, I had no business playing hockey they really were mm-hmm. uh i just again my mindset was you better shoot me before before i stop kind of thing and
1: yeah, that's a pretty extreme kind of mindset and choice to make at, like, nineteen, twenty, you know, that you've got to continue. Otherwise, yeah, you'd rather die than give up. What were your, like, parents' reactions? What were your coaches' reactions when you came back to play? Like, what were your teammates' reactions as well?
2: Yeah, my – I'll never – the first time I talked to my parents, um, like, really talked to them aside from the daily grind they were there my whole stay in the burn unit but it was about three weeks in and I still hadn't got my grafting procedure in the hospital and but I could get wheelchaired around and finally go outside which was like I didn't breathe in fresh air for like three weeks so Mm. and I'll never forget the moment my dad wheeled me out and this was when you know the first week my parents didn't know if I was going to make it kind of thing right and Um, that once the dust kind of settled and we went, got into the world of, of recovery and and healing, I just remember sitting outside all wrapped up and by this time I had this new mindset and I had new life and my dad just said, you know, you're going to be okay. Like we're going to be on the other side of this. And I never really told anyone my plan until, until I talked to my dad that day. And I just said, I'm like, dad, I'm going to be better than okay. I'm going to walk out of this hospital and I'm going to get a scholarship to Brown. And I think he was very, um, not maybe doubtful, but hesitant (laughs) Hmm. because I think, you know, everyone knew what I had in store for me in terms of recovery. And, but you know, he bit his tongue and, and he, I have to give my parents, I mean, a ton of credit for, how they raised me and they just he just said well you go get it then and don't call us until you're at your dorm room from brown and but you know i knew that he was thinking other something else Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and then that and then the journey started and then i got out of the burn unit and yeah they it was tough for them to see me put my body through what i put it through I mean that summer and that fall were were really rough. Again, I shouldn't have been playing hockey and I was I had kidney stones, I had appendicitis, I was on crutches, I couldn't wow. walk. You mean, you name it, I had it that summer and um I I was holding on by a thread to get that scholarship when that when the assistant coach from Brown finally came to watch me. I committed and and I hung him up the next day so I could Uh, recover but wow I mean I I so first of all I've had kidney
3: stones I know that pain but I'm not (laughs) I'm not thinking it's anything like what you would have had to get through just to get to that point and then continue beyond that like I yeah they're not I'm just hearing well yeah I'm not trying to like oh hey Chris
2: you know can (laughs) feel your pain here um no, but they hey they, but, they suck i'll give you i'll give you that i mean it was it was more, yeah. my body was just fighting back and saying "Whoa, you need to chill here because we're trying to recover from a major burn surgery and you're doing this um yeah so that was the first sort of domino to fall and then i had the the appendectomy 10 days before camp and they had to they actually had to cut through my skin graft to get it because I had oh I had a whole fresh skin graft on my right side, right? And yeah, that's a whole other story. That <laughs> well, just but hearing you
3: describe all of these sort of, I mean these these would be showstoppers, I think, to to most people. Um, I mean, if if the burn itself wasn't uh, an apicectomy, you know, that close to to training camp, like the the fact that you were able to go and persevere and fight through all of this is, I think um you know testament to your journey but i I, again i think it reinforces how you were able to to put into play the visualization and sort of that drive that inner drive you had
2: yeah um you know it it honestly i i would have never ever made the nhl without this burn experience there's absolutely no way and Mm -hmm. you know it's just so crazy to look back and and, you know, other events in my life, too. Every every piece of adversity has actually been, like, this amazing gift. And I didn't know it at the time. And most of us don't know that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it truly gave me a superpower. It really did. And, you know, I went to Brown. And, again, I, I had made it. That was, that was my NHL. But, unfortunately, at the time, you know, I mean, I'm jumping ahead now. But when I got to Brown... I that was it for me and mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have the wherewithal to think like man what else could I do if I did that mm-hmm. but I just my perspective on life had also changed and you know when you go through something like that and I honestly just I just really focused on having fun and mm-hmm. I I had made it and I, I worked my ass off don't get me wrong I was in the best shape on the team but but again I just I just enjoyed being a student athlete and enjoyed the U S college experience and, and had a good time. And that was it. And I didn't have the where, like I said, the wherewithal to think like, what else could I do, you know, until, until later.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. How did that sort of come about then? You're not really thinking of a life beyond Brown, not a life in hockey anyway, like the uh, sort of moose contract. And did that just come out nowhere or wet? Like, how did that come about?
2: Yeah, that was, so this was my and I, I've said I've had very, you know, defining moments or forks in the road, I like to say, right? <laughs> uh that call in the burn unit was the first one. And then yeah, after my third year at Brown, again I and I had went back to to that role and I mean you couldn't fight in college, but I was uh I don't even think I knew where the puck were it was my first couple of years, you know, I was just playing that role and, and punishing the defenseman of the ivy league for that's what they said for mm-hmm. right and and so i made a name for myself and stuck on the team and like i said I had a bunch of fun and and yeah after my junior year my third year the assistant coach pulled me aside and he said hey you ever thought about playing pro hockey and so i'm 24 at this point and i think i laughed in his face and i said i literally have not thought about it no <laughs> And uh, yeah, and I just, I remember I went home that night and I just started thinking, I'm like, huh, like if I can do that, the burn unit and come back from that, why couldn't I come go play pro hockey? And then I thought about the NHL and what he had told me. And he said, you know, some, some AHL teams have been asking about you. Uh, I've never seen anyone be able to hit like you can hit. And I think, you know, if you really work on your game, you could have a good five, ten-year career in the minors and who knows, maybe get a crack in the show even. And I was like, holy shit, wow, okay. And uh, so I made a choice that day and I said, again, if I can make that journey from the burn unit to even come back and play hockey, then then yeah, why can't I play in the NHL? And I decided that day I was going to play in the NHL and I had to go back to... To what I knew with the mindset and that's when I I had to give myself a quick forgiveness there and be like how did I let this go for three years and not have that mindset and so I went back mm-hmm. to that visualization practice and and lived in this essentially I lived in a different reality and just visualized the one I wanted and and manifested that and I, I mean I, I always say created a movie so I wrote And directed this movie of what I wanted my life to look like and and I lived in that reality and it was just so crazy how much power it gave me and so fast forward six months maybe and everything just snowballed and people think you know if you look at the stats my last year at brown that oh Aaron just you know he figured it out or got lucky and there's a lot more to it than that and yeah, in one year, I went from no one in the NHL knowing who I was to, you know, probably being a, a top five NCAA free agent, really, in that last year, because I had added that that offensive element, right? And then you factor mm-hmm. in, I mean, I was, you're talking, about, I was t- almost 25 years old. I was 215 pounds. And I, you know, you, I'm playing against 18 year olds that are 160, 170 pounds. There was, uh-huh there were some pretty bad injuries there <laughs> and not that I, again, I don't advocate for hurting anyone or, but that was just part of the game. Right. And my mindset was get out of my way or get your head up. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, and that it just, it happened. It honestly, uh, I came out of nowhere really. Um, so,
3: so I have to ask, I mean, being from Revelstoke, were the Vancouver Canucks, you know, your quote unquote favorite hockey team at the time, or, you know, I, I do appreciate that there are those who live in BC that might cheer for a different team. I know of someone who cheers for the flames. I don't know why, if that's yourself, I apologize. <laughs>
2: no, no. Yeah. I was a diehard Canucks fan. Yeah. Like from a young age on the little ponds, you know, pretending I was Pavel Bure, you know, he was my, he was my guy. Uh, you know stanley cup finals those kinds of things right as a kid and Mm -hmm. they even i remember the canucks even had their training camp in vernon in my uh, my first year with the vipers Mm. and i just remember thinking you know so i was 18 at that time and just thinking you know how far of a possibility like it they were just these giant gods in my mind you know and I couldn't be farther from that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just so crazy. I look back now and, and I just think like, ha- have I been manifesting this my whole life and I didn't even know it, you know? And <sighs> like, what are the chances mm-hmm. of all the 30, I can't, I think there was only 30 at the time, 30 teams. And right. Cause I was a free agent. I could have signed anywhere and I had offers from a tons of other teams and it could have been anywhere. Uh-huh. And Uh, yeah it's just it's it's been a crazy ride to a Vancouver of all places and again even with the burn unit you know Mm -hmm. walking out of those those I didn't well I got wheelchaired out but you know going through the burn unit (laughs) the burn unit doors in 2005 again the NHL was never even a thought I mean of course it's a dream like any kid but I wasn't naive. I knew where, what I was and where I stood. And, and five years later, I'm, I'm on the Canucks. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it was just a crazy journey.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I, you must have, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. You must've thought like any sort of setback you were having in Manitoba, in Vancouver, like, you know, small injury, whatever you just, did you think, Oh, this is nothing. You know, I've just, I've done my huge obstacle Um, this is it now or um, were you just thinking okay I have the tools now like I have the visualization tools were you consciously thinking that or um, was it just something that sort of came naturally
2: yeah I was I definitely never let that practice go after you know when I when I signed that contract with with Vancouver I mean even before that because I mean by Christmas of my last year, I knew I was going to sign an NHL contract. I got off to a good start and there was a ton of interest, a ton of talk. And I had an agent finally. I never had an agent until then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. And, and I just thought, wow, like, again, I can't believe I let this, this practice go. And, um, so yeah, that definitely any, you're right. Any adversity I experienced, down the road you know i could always pull from from those past experiences right and and yeah. use those techniques to to not only you know help me overcome that but but even be stronger right for it and and have yeah. that, that growth um so yeah i it was and you want to talk about you know even getting into to the nhl and the anxieties that a lot of guys will tell you with with the fighting and trying to expand your role. I mean, I was, it was already, you know, really, really difficult. And I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have this, this practice of, of that visualization, right. And, and all that, it, it helped immensely.
1: Mm, definitely.
2: So
3: I'd be remiss if I did sort of bring up that the Vancouver Canucks are experiencing their own type of adversity right now. They've gotten off to a, difficult start to a, an NHL season and, uh, you know, being that you're probably in a good position to help those who might be experiencing adversity, you know, get out of it. If you were brought back by the team and put in that dressing, like, what would you tell those players? Um, like what advice might you give?
2: Yeah, good question. Again, I think I would go back to, you might not realize it right now when you're in, you know, you're in the shit or it feels like you're at rock bottom. But this is a massive, massive opportunity. And again, you might not realize that and it might not seem like it. But if you can, you know, reframe that and and use it and fuel it. I mean, I always, and I teach now, like, write your comeback story, right? Mm-hmm. And because, you know, what makes a good movie, say, right? It's 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 a comeback story. It's... The underdog and so relish that and and live in that reality and visualize it right and you'd be surprised at the change in you know attitude performance confidence all these things maybe not tomorrow or in a week but you know you do that every day and every day for for a long period of time then everyone starts pulling the same rope and and I think, again, when you can overcome and dig yourself out of those, there's a lot of power behind that. So yeah. I would just hit that message home, you know, that not in a way, like, be thankful for the opportunity. And I and I, trust me, none of us are, are going to say that the Canucks are thankful for where they are right now, right? But hmm. guess what? That's where you are. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about it or do about do nothing you can change in the past. Right. So I would just say this, the story could be that much sweeter based on where we're at. Right.
3: So yeah.
2: very well said.
3: Um, one final question, just sort of before we, we come back to the book here, I mean, obviously your, your career was um, to some cut short um, due to injury. Others would suggest that based on your journey, it was a phenomenal one, uh, but you have written a book, Fighter, to find the NHL odds. Um, what's next beyond that? Beyond the book,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I basically I have three visions right now, and so the book, obviously, being one, and again, my my aim is to to inspire people, and espe- you know, especially people going through adversity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having techniques that can really help with that. Uh, the other is, is this the coaching business that I do now. And, and really, I want to expose as many people as I can to, to visualization and especially the cinematic visualization that I teach with, you know, again, what do you want the movie of your life to look like? You get to direct that. You get to, and I always say, you, you can't predict the future, but you can greatly influence the future, right? And, and so that's really what I try to teach and, and what, you know, I tell all my, my clients. And and the other side is the speaking and just, you know, working with other teams and, and businesses and different communities, right? And again, really just exposing people to the power of, of the mind. Um, yeah. And these different avenues allow me to do that. So... Yeah, that that's really where I, where I see this going, and and really just changing people's lives through through all these different you know avenues—the book and the coaching and, and the speaking, right? So yeah, that, I love
1: that. Honestly, I think a lot of people just take a huge amount from your story, um, and maybe they won't relate to the specifics of being in a burn unit with forty percent burns on their body and making it to the NHL, but the techniques you've kind of used to overcome adversity and the courage you've shown—I think a really universal story um before we let you go we'd love to hear um first of all when the book's coming out and when we might hear about it some more
2: yeah so this is actually great timing because the release date is tomorrow um or i guess when you guys when this goes live it'll be be today yeah it'll be today So the 25th today um is the official launch stage. So you can get the book on Amazon on my website, aaronvalpatti.com. And I should say there's, there's a fundraising initiative for the burn fund behind the profits of the book. So for the first 54 days, which was my number in Vancouver, 40% of the profits go to the burn fund. So yeah, I mean, that's another, that was another big part of, the why behind the book is I wanted to give back to the burn fund. Um, and you know, because it's such a a traumatic time for not only the, the burn patients, but the families too. Right. Mm -hmm. And the burn fund is a place not only for patients, but for families to go, um, and have a place to stay, have, have a place where they can have a good meal and, you know, all these things. And, and so that was a big, big why behind it. So, again, for the first 54 days. Um, that's the initiative. I am going to have different events around North America here for the first, for the first month for sure here. Um, we're actually in Vancouver on November 17th and 18th. And I'll announce a lot of the details. I mean, you can find it on my website, the details for that as well, but um, the 17th is a alumni luncheon that's open to the public and I'll be doing book signing there. And then we'll be at community corner at the Canucks versus the Kings on the 18th as well. So for all the Very local cool. people that, that want to get a book and, and have it signed and that's, that's where we'll be and support a good cause. So.
3: Awesome. And again, the book is fighter defining NHL odds. As Aaron mentioned, you can go to his website, ironballpatty.com. We'll have a link in our show notes uh, for those of you who uh, are frantically trying to write that down. But uh, Aaron, thanks for taking time and uh, joining us and, and telling us a lot more about, uh, you know, not only your, your life experience, but the journey that you took and, and being so candid with us.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys. That was a blast. Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks. Uh, We'll be right back. You're listening to the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office
3: Oh my goodness. Like I wasn't expecting that level of sort of candor about yeah. everything that Aaron went through.
1: Yeah. It was certainly like deep insight into sort of the mindset, like the lowest of lows that he was in and how he overcame those.
3: You know, and it, it kind of brings things to perspective about like, I, I myself as a fan, I mean, it, it, I look at sort of everything that the Vancouver Canucks have been going through just in the last two weeks. And I was like, Oh man, this is nothing. This is, this is at the end of the day. It's, it's a sport. There isn't anything bigger. Despite me trying to go and say kidney stones. Yeah, man, fist bump. I can relate, which was awkward. I know. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) But, um, we had, we actually asked him sort of after we had uh, stopped recording, um, you know, as to how much he's sort of been paying attention to the Canucks and that. And he had said, not a, not a whole lot. Um, uh, but uh, we're, we had said it's it's been a tough go. Uh, Jersey's have been hitting ice. And uh, it, it sort of caught him by surprise that that's happening. <laughs> but uh, you alluded it to in the intro. Um, I mean, if you watched one game last week, and it happened to be the home opener with the Buffalo Sabres in a town, you had a very disgruntled fan base mm-hmm. in that building. Uh, one might say they were ornery.
1: You would say that.
3: I would. That is a good word to describe the sentiment, is it not?
1: Yes. It's just a word that you like using a lot.
3: Ornery. i had even said, okay, if if the Canucks see this one start to get out of hand, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, you did. And I, at the end of I, you know, Elliot Friedman even pointed out, I think it was during like the second intermission, might have been even at the end of the game where he's like, you know, Earlier in the game, so yeah, I was actually surprised. The Canucks fans, they were very supportive of the team and the and the player entry and the coaches and the stat team staff uh, introductions and all of that. But I think people disregard the fact that Vancouver Canucks fans are actually very intelligent, but also very demanding. Yeah, and what has been going on with this team for however long now is what's resulting in fans throwing jerseys on the ice and I to say jerseys it wasn't one it was what four three or four jerseys yeah by the end of that game this is a team that's that's got some problems and it's not like oh if we're healthy we'll be we're certainly adequate
1: yeah I think the thing is you kind of hit it the net on the head there with the f- sort of the fan base they've kind of been told you know almost like spoken down to in a way it's like oh no we don't need to sign a new decor like we're good with what we have and we've been told that for a few years or like Jim Benning is a fine leader and he's going to take us where we need to go whereas Canucks fans were saying you know like I'm not sure that's true I'm not sure we do need to sign a defenseman from Arizona for a billion years even if it helps us get rid of some Somewhat troublesome contracts. Like I don't know if we do need to sign a six foot ten defenseman uh, for six million a a year, but you know, management said, "Yeah, we do." And it's like, so it's kind of that build up of frustration over not just the start of the season and the off season, but like a few years, I think.
3: Well, it's definitely been frustration that's building up over the course of a few years. Um, Frankie Corrado, who you happen to be a a big fan of, um, he had actually commented a couple of times. He's been on a, a couple of different shows and he had said that, you know, he was talking about sort of Canucks Twitter and Canucks fans. And he's like, there's a thing about, you know, Canucks Twitter and Canucks fans is that people go and say that they're not, not that bright. And he's like, no, it's actually quite the opposite. They're very intelligent. They will go down those rabbit holes. They will dig into things and they will then come back with the data to support these theories. And it's like, wow, like they might be onto something. And, you know, he went on further to say over the last couple of days that, you know, this is a very, you know, understanding fan base. If you tell them, hey, it's going to be a couple of rough years while we go through and we rebuild or here's what we're doing, they will accept that. In fact, you need to do that. You can't go and say, oh, we're two years away And then two years later say, we're just two years away. No, no, you said that. You said that two years ago, we told you you were more than two years, but you, you told us too. that's all we're giving you. And so I think that we're sort of seeing a shift in some respect. Like Jim Rutherford was on, um, after hours and he had talked about how, yeah, maybe we're in a rebuild now, but that wasn't after providing the, you know, fans, they're not, they're not wanting this rebuild. I don't know. I think people have been on all sides of the spectrum saying at some point the Vancouver Canucks needed to rebuild. There's some that say the rebuild happened. That's why we have this young core. And there's other that said, yeah, cool. You started it. And then you went. Yeah. I mean, not the current management group, but when did something crazy like, oh, hey, let's get three bad contracts off the books by bringing in one that's going to go and anchor us for, you know, the end of time. Like it, it would be akin to going and getting a high interest loan. Yeah to take care of the debt you were going to be paying off by the end of the year anyway, just to amortize your future.
1: Yeah. I think that's the thing. You can say that the Canucks fans don't want to rebuild now and maybe some of them don't, but that's because they asked for, they wanted a rebuild five years ago and Canucks like just refused to do it. Like I just keep thinking over the last few months about, where we would be if we listened to Trevor London.
3: <laughs> well, so um, I'm trying to think if it was, if it was Drance that was on Mr. Um, Carson Price or, or someone who it was said that everyone in a leadership position that has ever said the word rebuild with this particular ownership group has found themselves out of a job soon thereafter. Um, Gillis mentioned rebuild He was done. Mm -hmm. He was given Tortorella. That didn't work out. Tortorella said this core is stale. It needs to be blown up. Gillis said we need to rebuild. Gone. They bring in Benning and Lyndon. A few years later, Lyndon comes to the idea. No, I've I've been talking to other executives. I've been talking to other teams. We need to do a rebuild. One thing led to another, and an amicable amicable split took place. Mm -hmm. And Jim Benning got put in place. Now Jim never said rebuild. Um, but, uh,
1: no, he said one day at a time, whatever you want, (laughs) Mr. Aquilini.
3: So, so, okay. He, he broke the the streak, but it's interesting because, you know, Rutherford did come around to it. He's like, we might be in a rebuild right now Mm -hmm. because if this team is the way it is, and it's not a symptom of injuries, it's not a symptom of bad puck luck, it is a symptom of just not being a good team. What fixes them? They've got cap troubles. So that you can't buy yourself out of this problem. Mm -hmm. Um, can you draft yourself out of the trouble? Well, you've not been managing the draft picks, but if you're going to go and do that, I don't know who it is you bring in, in one draft pick that suddenly changes this team and the dynamic, right? There's so many things that are wrong. And, and if you want like maybe 10 seconds of what ails this team, I think it was what the second intermission, uh, when Luke Shen was given it to Mm JT Miller and Connor Garland had to come in between them as they were skating off the ice. JT Miller, the guy who is your quote unquote leader has just signed an extension until the end of time. And he got paid good for him is already being called out by one of the veterans on your team. Like not a good look. And then like today he's like, I don't care what the fans do. They can do whatever the hell they want. I've got business. Like, okay, I get that. I actually don't have an issue with him saying what he said. Yeah,
1: neither do I. But
3: that's not what a that's not what a leader goes yeah, and says. Yeah,
1: I mean, so I actually, as you say, I don't think it's that big a deal that JT Miller is saying, like, honestly, I don't think we can concentrate on that. We've got to concentrate on our own stuff. They, Fans will act how they want to act. But the difference between how JT Miller talks about this and talks about, you know like as if they the team and the fans are a completely separate entity. Like when he was talking on Saturday night saying, you know, like, well, um, it's none of your business. What happened on the ice? And it's like, well, it happened in front of everyone during a game that was televised yeah, and in front of it's, players. It's, it's,
3: yeah, it's, it's not like we observe something down a dark hallway peering around the corner It happened on a national broadcast. Yeah,
1: and it wasn't a practice even. Like it was during the game that people have paid, you know, a lot to see. Like I don't believe you can treat players like garbage just because you know you pay to watch them. But I also believe that fans deserve respect and, like, you know, like some kind of answer.
3: if I were to have given him advice, I would have answered by saying, "Yeah, could have could have gone with the, eh, the difference of opinion. It could have been, uh, I, I told him that he puts the toilet paper on the wrong way. Like, give us such a facetious, silly answer or, to get the laugh. I just think it's right? so like, easy
1: to say, look, we care so much, frustrations boil over, we're fine now.
3: Yeah, like, You're right. There's just, there is a hundred different ways he could have gone about it differently. The none of your business, though, is unfortunate because we're not the ones who tried to make it our business. It, it was, it was provided to us front and center. Yeah. And it's um,
1: just because, like, JT Miller has, it's not just the quote, right? It's like his lack of effort sometimes. He kind of, although he has a lot of passion, sometimes it kind of comes across as. I lack of respect
3: for fans sometimes. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not going to tell a player whether they have to respect a fan or not. Like, let, let's be honest. That's, that's their business. But I have been a Vancouver Canuck fan for a long time. And there's probably those who listen who've been fans longer than I have. I can never recall a time where Canucks fans booed a player on their own team. Ever. I've heard fans boo their team. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'll admit to have been one of those fans back in my youth. But Vancouver Canucks fans on Saturday near the end of the game were booing JT Miller every time he touched the puck. Like that's normally reserved for the Brad Marchand's of the world where fans will boo when he touches the puck to express their displeasure. I have never seen that happen to an individual member of the the home team. And I think that tells you as well that the Vancouver Canucks fans currently view him as being part of the problem. Now his contract might be it, and that's not his fault for signing a deal put in front of him, a really good deal, uh, a deal that he was entitled to, but it's indicative of everything else that Vancouver Canucks fans are intelligent enough to know Is a problem with this team. You can't build around JT.
1: Yeah, I'll just say one last thing. Really, on JT is that just I think what I found frustrating about conversations. Um, I'm not trying to subtweet here, because but like you know, I had it was a conversation Canucks conversation, but it's not just them. There's lots of people talking on Twitter about like maybe Bo isn't the right leader for this team, and Mm. what I found frustrating about that is like you had bo say today like he's not stopped thinking about his jersey being thrown on the ice because he's so like from
3: last season yeah
1: because he's so upset about it um and i just think captain material isn't the best player on the team it just has nothing to do with that like you can say that you can say that bo doesn't fit into this team as a player and that on the trade block i think that would be going a bit far but like you could he's not (sighs) untradeable But he's, the, he is a leader. He's yeah, frustrated. I think, top. you know,
3: you know, Aaron had brought up how one of his favorite players growing up was Pavel Bure. Mm-hmm. Pavel Bure was a phenomenal player. Probably one of the best Canucks. Yes. During the era that he was on. He was not captain material. No,
1: not in the slightest. Have,
3: you don't, you don't throw a C on, on Pavel's jersey. Um, even in the latter part of his career, you don't throw a C on Pavel's jersey. And that's, that's perfectly fine. Like I, I, I genuinely wonder when someone says JT Miller should be the captain. Really? I'm not entirely sure that's the guy I'd want to have the seat. No. I would much rather throw it on the jersey of Luke Shen. And it's 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 how a player positions themselves within the construct of a team, how they carry themselves on the ice, their ability to articulate themselves. Like a captain can't come out and say it's none of your business. No.
1: And I think that was now a that, perfect example of this. I mean, this is what I said in my sort of, um fans give two cents in the province was that he's the perfect captain. Um loyal, kind and boring. Cause honestly that's what you want from a captain. Yeah.
3: So, um what's not loyal kind and boring is the start to this third period. The Carolina Hurricanes no. have scored two goals oh, in less no. than two minutes.
1: Oh god. Yep. So so they have.
3: Yeah. Uh uh, 50 seconds in and, uh, about, uh, well, just over 30 seconds later, yes, per fast. So things aren't going very well tonight for the Vancouver Canucks in their second home game. It's not over. Anything could happen. Um, but you know, looking ahead here, I mean, we've been going off on sort of what's the Vancouver Canucks. St- they head down to Seattle on Thursday, uh, to take on the crack. Seattle team. That's uh, just then,
1: beaten the cup champs <laughs> recently. Yeah,
3: um, and then they come home to play the Penguins the following night. So the Vancouver Canucks do get a couple of days off before. I don't know if they're going to head down to Seattle on the 27th the night before, like when it would be, but uh, like at this point in time, how you fix this Canucks team, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely wondering if it's a change. Uh, and I have, uh, did you hear the con the comment that Rutherford made about Bruce Boudreau during after hours?
1: Um, what, remind me what he said.
3: Um, so Scott Oak had asked like, oh, you know, was there a reason why, you know, Boudreau didn't get an extension and Rutherford had, had said, well, you, you know, uh, we weren't something along the lines of, you know, he, he's actually in the, the second year of a deal. Uh, when I came on board, I was, a, a thought it was only one year. Uh, so really he has been extended into this season. And yeah. I mean, to... the
1: team took the option.
3: No, but here, the weird thing is, is that the way he positioned it was like, well, he was the coach last year. He wasn't necessarily the coach this year. Like he, he was, it was the weirdest okay. thing.
1: This is what happens when you watch it in a bar on, with subtitles. Like this is me trying to figure out what <laughs> happened from Twitter. And yeah,
3: he, the, the response almost made it sound. And like the way, the way he responded, the tone and everything was that I thought I had this guy last year.
0: Hmm.
1: Weird. Okay. It's an odd thing to put. Okay. Right? Like... Yeah. I mean, do I think... I mean, do I think it's Bruce Boudreau's fault? No. I didn't oh, think it was Travis Boudreau's fault either, particularly. Yeah. Um, do I think there are larger problems at play than what's like no. happening on the ice? Of course. Structurally, like Cap wise whatever and the injuries don't help but even so like can actually not be playing this badly
3: no I, I mean should on the note in of injuries Italy. as well Quinn Hughes who yeah. you were playing you know million minutes a night he's gone from day to day to week to week um, Brock Besser went from a maintenance day to day to day um, it's interesting how a maintenance day turns into day to day with undisclosed injuries um, the But, you know, if the Vancouver Canucks uh, as a team are constructed that an injury, one injury essentially to the blue line, one injury to the, you know, forwards is where the wheels come completely fine off. That's not a well-built team.
1: Right. And yeah, you like the fact the Canucks should just not have been in a position where they're having to play Quinn who's 25 minutes a night and it's still not making a difference.
3: Yeah, it's, well, could you imagine how bad it would be if they weren't playing him, like, you know, for half the game? Mm
1: -hmm. And it's, I mean, I will say they've, like, there's been some questionable lineup decisions, let's be real. Like, we've talked about it, that two of the best, like, one of the best players was Carl Burrows in their first, like, five games of the season, which, like, it's not, like, good for you, Carl, but that's bad for this team, and he got scratched. Like Garland was playing well. He got scratched.
3: Yeah. Garland was playing like. (laughs) He was one. Pretty good hockey. Yeah. Um, Like if, if, if actually, and this is the thing about Garland, like Garland has been, you know, a rumored to be a potential like, you know, trade piece to try to help fix this team. He's one of the few players you have some flexibility to move, has a decent enough contract Scratched. It's not like he JT Millard it. Uh, Both overtime games jt did not look so good and i mean that's besides the fact that he had been on the ice for pretty much every goal against prior to that week um but jt doesn't get benched
1: no hoglander scratched yeah little paper transaction down to but yes they were in a tight spot with defense because I hate that my terrible uh, Notting Hill meme was correct, but yeah, Tucker, you belong in concussion protocol. Yeah. It's, I don't want to be right about it, but.
3: No, but it's.
1: It's a sad situation, but. Yeah. I don't I mean, think he should have come back.
3: Yeah. I, you know, if there's one thing I am glad of is that we led with the conversation we had with uh, Aaron yes. to start this show, because that was a, that was a good start to a podcast. I'm now kind of down. Like the fact that we're recording live and seeing that the Vancouver Canucks are down 3-1 that quick in the third period.
1: I mean, Um, I will say that what Aaron was saying about visualization, like Canucks are in the darkest before the dawn moment of their movie, right? They, they need to write the.
3: Can it get darker?
1: (laughs) It can, because it's real life, but yeah. In the sports movie, we're writing, or they are writing for themselves. Like they go up from here. Is,
3: is this the ducks fly together moment? Is this so? This is this yeah, the OG have... Mighty Ducks movie where they bring the limo out onto the ice and all the players pile into it and they spin around.
1: They should have before
3: what's his name's mom comes running out and
1: they should have all the. Um, team to stand up and say their name and their hometown, and mm-hmm. then everything will be fixed.
3: Yeah, maybe, but it's 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 bad. Um, do you think something happens between now and uh, Thursday, presuming this game doesn't turn around?
1: I don't know if we're quite there yet, only because the needs are so allergic to action.
3: Well, I don't necessarily know if it's the Aquilini's being allergic to action. I think it's the Aquilini's being allergic to spending money.
1: Yes. And they are already currently playing, paying two coaches.
3: Eh, what's third? Fourth or how many ever coaches? But I, I just... Like, if this result stands, the Vancouver Canucks will have kicked off the season with two points over the course of their first eight games. And in a season that is just over 80 games in length. That's, That's 10% of your 10 schedule done. Even
1: gone and they've earned two, two loser points.
3: Right. Like you, you, you can't, you can't wait long. The Vancouver Canucks are notorious for slow starts. They've never been this slow. This is the worst start. I think in the team history. Um, the fact that, I mean, they were setting records about no team has like had the lead and lost as many games in a row. And
1: yeah,
3: oh, did they have the lead tonight? No, they they were down 1-0 before they tied at 1-1, so okay.
1: Yeah, they haven't had the lead yet. Um, yeah, I will say that we didn't – yeah, we, they just – we didn't expect them to be this bad. Um, you can take this game in isolation and say, Canucks are down the, one of their best players and they're top-minute defensemen. Um, they have yeah. a few injuries – and for Caroline, week to week and a day really to day good team, all of this is true. But what about the other <laughs> seven games?
3: So, so this is the thing is if let's say actually, I'll use this. let's say Quinn Hughes when he comes back to team, just they're better. yeah. If he's week to week, I think it's safe to presume we don't see him for two more games. So ten percent of the season will have occurred. Mm-hmm. No Quinn Hughes, they may not win. Um, we get into November here if he does come back in time to, to see his brother, uh, come to town. Okay. They start sharing things around in November. Um, but you have like Brock day to day, like it's injuries. Yeah. This is a team that is certainly adequate when healthy. They have not been healthy and they are certainly inadequate when injured.
1: Yeah. I mean, we kind of have so facetiously (laughs) thrown out the lotto line thing but let's be real jt miller looked better tonight when he wasn't playing at center so the lotto line might be the answer once brock is healthy
3: yeah anyhow i mean we are still the c4 canucks hockey playoff podcast because gosh darn it that's be. all this team was built for i mean it's I, i'm awful if if, if rutherford says we're, we're blowing this bad boy up full-on rebuild fine I'll i'll buy into it yeah It's been, I wish, I wish I was buying into it 10 years ago, but I'll buy into it now. Oh man. How about them Canucks? Anyhow, um, we are at the end of a slightly longer show and one that's kind of mixed up. If you were, you know, thinking back to the start of the show, we went into half full, half empty, whereas we would normally kick things off with rewind, but Aaron, Joined us. We had to work around timing and all that, and it just made a whole lot more sense to to get him on earlier and, uh, and what have you. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you do uh, give his uh, book a read. Again, it's a uh, fighter defining NHL odds. You can find it at AaronvillePatty Again, link in the show notes. It's available as of October twenty fourth. No, twenty fifth, which is should be today. Today, when you're listening, or later. Um, and, uh, as he had mentioned, for the next 54 days, 40% of the profits are going directly to the burn fund, uh, center here in Vancouver, uh, which is a pretty cool gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick up the book and I think you're going to pick yeah. up the book. Uh, it'd be pretty cool, um, to, to learn more about that. And I was actually thinking if we, you know, more players write books or what have you, we could have like a C4 book club where we can almost. I love that. Introduce someone have a book read it together as a community come back and yeah and uh, and have productive times and conversations on the show because hot down the team ain't making it easier. for and
1: us where would we have those conversations online chris
3: I bet you we would have them on C4 Discord, which you can get and join by going to discord.io slash C4 podcast. Well, we don't have a book club channel, we do have a channel for the and gate 16 as well as the Seattle Croconite in a place. Nom Nom is where all the food pictures get shared and there is some glorious food that uh, our community eats from time to time. And uh, we do occasionally have a little off topic uh, uh, banter as well, but uh, Anna, uh, maybe discord's not for everyone is there any other way that they can engage with us
1: um yes they can chris we're on twitter at the c4 podcast we're the same on facebook um we might not post a whole lot on facebook but we are checking it because we know some people are only on facebook so if you want to drop us a line on facebook that works too um what we would also love to hear is your beautiful voices though so if you have a canucks hot take if you are the person that one of the four people that threw your jersey on the ice tell us why you did it also tell us how you have that much money to burn um and you can do that by going to speedpike.com forward slash c4 podcast i made that up is that correct no that's that's it
3: that is correct off the dome yeah you're you're getting good at this game here huh (laughs) Um, and uh, as well, just a further note to patrons: uh, We continue to say this uh, every show. We're going to say it again. Uh, we appreciate your support. Your patronage is on pause. It's likely paused uh, through to uh, at the end of the year as we we look to find a, a more um, uh, we're pivoting conducive way. To, yeah, it's you know we're we're making changes. It just takes a while, and and we want to make it to uh, make it. It's
1: right. Like the Canucks, change takes a while. It's yeah, it's yeah
3: we're, we're just but unlike the canucks we're not telling you it's just day by day we're more like month by month
1: we're honest
3: yeah yeah exactly but uh, any uh, final uh, words of wisdom there Anna?
1: um that was just like an awesome chat with aaron really good to get his insight you can read stuff like online about you know Aaron went through this at 19 and you think, Oh God, that sounds terrible. But to actually like listen to the stories, that was just amazing to hear it right from him.
3: Yeah. And I, I, I second that. I mean, his, his candor and in, in talking to us and in describing everything that he went through was, uh, was, was unreal. Like I, 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 would struggle to believe it if I had not heard it myself. Yeah. Like, um, so, you know, perspective is everything and the perspective that he's provided us today is is one that will will resonate with me for for a long time to come but on behalf of anna4603 myself chris at Lightforce, i'm signing off the c4 canucks hockey podcast brought to you by the full press coverage networking canuckshockeyblog.com with we out